we are here at the end of it all as it pertains to the Lord of the Rings novel series. It is Chase and Josh with Factor Fantasy. That's Chase and I'm Josh and we're here to give you the very ending of the story that we will talk about here in the Lord of the Rings. It's been a long time coming and we've finally gotten to the end. You know, we talked about the big climax last week, and now this kind of ties everything together in a way. And so we're going to be reading the last four chapters of the book. Uh, you know, obviously there's going to be a lot of appendices that come later on, but we'll, we'll, you know, tackle major key points on that in the episode we do with rankings and, you know, have a little fun with it. But, you know, today we're really just going to close out the actual story itself. Before we do that, I'm going to turn the floor over to Chase to say a few words, and then we'll get started. This is when we say goodbye to our favorite hobbits today. And with that, I'll let Jay Nelly kick it off. Sounds like a plan. Obviously, you know, to recap what happened last week, it just is pretty much everything that it culminated in the large event of, you know, we had the captains of the West surrounded by the armies of Mordor. We had Sam and Frodo doing their best to make it to Mount Doom and throw that ring in the fire. They get there. Frodo has a change of heart, decides he's not going to throw the ring in the fire, but Gollum then jumps on him, bites his finger off while he took put it on, and uh, ended up slipping and falling into the lava pit himself and destroyed the ring along with himself. And so, you know, that kind of was the end of all things there. We have the destruction of the ring, the Tower of Sauron fell, the armies of Mordor scattered, and, you know, everything, uh, everything, all is well that ends well in terms of that. And now we're just here to tie up some loose ends with these last four chapters that we'll cover. So before I dive into the first chapter of today, let's go ahead and raise our glasses in a toast. Uh, cheers for a little malice in the chalice here. Uh, one thing I did want to mention, I know Chase kind of put something up on TikTok. This is something that's important to us just because it's something that, you know, Chase and I grew up with uh, this show. Uh, if you guys didn't know... A couple days ago, we got uh, you know information that the creator of Yu-Gi-Oh, Kazuki Takahashi, was actually found dead at sea, and so we'll just kind of have a moment of silence here uh, in remembrance for all like the good times that he's brought not just us but every like fans around the world. Uh, he was a huge inspiration to a lot of people. So we'll just have a moment of silence before we uh, raise our glasses in the air, and then we'll get started. All right, brother. Glasses Cheers, in the air. Brother. Cheers. <clears throat> Cheers. Yeah, right before we get started, side note. Um, reason it made me think of this so much was because, you know, we've talked about on this show since the beginning, uh, when we started the debates and everything, kind of the two of the biggest anime um, people are Goku and Vegeta, right? And we created our Malice and the Chalice cards and everything, and they're not the same, but you know the design and everything kind of inspiration came from the whole Yu-Gi-Oh card idea so we thought that was pretty cool but I uh, just wanted to raise our glasses to him like we just did because if you know you know we don't cover anime on this podcast here but uh, you know Dragon Ball Z, Yu-Gi-Oh and Pokemon uh, they there's really no other creators that have stood up to what they did for that genre so gotta give respect and credit where credit is due but uh let's end the journey to the shire today my friend let's get it going sounds like a plan you know what's really great about these last few chapters is that there's not terribly too much detail to where we've got to read pages and passages at a time there are a few things here and there a few paragraphs maybe one page uh you know in a, in a chapter or so that i felt important enough but for the most part it's just 
you know, generic information and, and, and quick little bullet points. So the first thing I had notated on my end was, you know, uh, Aragorn, they, they are, first they're, they're basically bringing King Thaden's body back to Rohan. So everything's good and peaceful in the realm of Gondor right now. And they're deciding they're going to bring back King Thaden's body to Rohan. They're all going to take the journey. I'm talking about all of the fellowship that's left. Gandalf, Aragorn, Legolas, Gimli, Merry, Pippin, Frodo, Sam. They are all going on this journey back to Rohan. And in the, in the middle of their you know, travels, I thought this was a pretty cool thing that's easy to skip over if you weren't paying attention. Is that Aragorn gives the wood people that helped Rohan come to Gondor's aid the whole of the forest as a gift for helping them. Because if you remember, Rohan would have gotten to the battle late because there was a host of orcs on the main road waiting for Rohan to come to the help of Gondor and so the the woods people took him to the side and took him through secret passages and so for their help Aragorn uh, gifted them the woods there and now again said no one should uh, you know be in these woods without the consent of, of these people so he gave them the forest so I thought that was really cool uh, next thing I have is uh, Aomer and Gimli they have some words regarding who the most beautiful lady in all the land is and you know does they had a little conflict back when they first met because you know, Aomer said some things about the Lady of the Woods without ever meeting her. And Gimli had told him, you know, if you ever come upon her and you, and you see her and you don't think she's the most beautiful in the world, like, we're going to have to draw weapons against each other. And so Aomer's like, hey, you know, I don't know if you ever ask, but at the end of the day, Galadriel is as you say, but I prefer Arwen, uh, Elvenstar there. And, you know, and, he, and Gimli's like, you know what, the score is settled. You prefer the morning, I prefer the evening. Thought that was pretty cool. Uh, so that was just something that that was interesting, you know. I said uh, they they're going to take Thaden's body back to Rohan amongst his ancestors at Edoras, where they are there and celebrating the funeral there and the life of Thaden. Faramir and Eowyn are officially betrothed, and I'm going to read just this last paragraph here on page 276 in my book. Something I thought was pretty important, and it says, "When the feast was over, those who were to go took leave of King Eomer." Aragorn and his knights and the people of Lorien and Rivendell made ready to ride, but Faramir, Imrahil remained at Edoras, and Arwen Evenstar remained also, and she said farewell to her brethren. None saw her last meeting with Elrond, her father, for they went up into the hills, and they spoke long together, and bitter was their parting that should endure beyond the ends of the world. And the reason I want to mention that is because the way that makes it seem, and I may be incorrect, it almost makes it seem like her and her father parted on bad terms. Like they weren't, obviously he wanted her to go to the Undying Lands with him and with her people and she decided to stay and, and you know, taste the bitter sweetness of mortality with Aragorn as, as her, his queen. And so, I don't know, did you kind of take that away too, that, that it was a bad parting between her and her father? Or was that just something like a, a bitter ending as in, you know, her father and daughter never really going to see each other again? What did you think about it? See, I was thinking it more like it was saying a bitter ending, like this wasn't necessarily a happy ending, like this wasn't the most ideal situation is the way I took it. However, I mean, I maybe this is just my take on Elrond's persona, but I don't ever recall Elrond, Elrond uh, sorry, my weird Elvish pronunciation here, Elrond being the exactly the most nice out spoken guy <laughs> like i think he's just kind of i don't want to say he's like an asshole <laughs> but he's definitely not exactly like he's not someone that would go up to you in the bar and be like hey 
good to see you again, man. He would probably stay at the end of the bar by himself, and then you'd walk up to him and be like, oh, cool, have a good night. <laughs> That's kind of the way he is. So I didn't think anything by it. I just thought maybe it didn't admit that the situation wasn't very ideal, but that was just my take on it. Okay. Yeah, it's, I'm curious because it sounds like we, we see it from different ends on that. And, uh, and just the way it said they, uh, bitter was their parting, I was like, yeah, maybe they just didn't leave on good terms. And that would be really sad that you've never, you never see your family again and you leave on bad terms. I'm hoping, I'm hopeful that you're right and I'm wrong, but just uh, the way it was read, I don't know, that, that's the way I took it. So uh, the next big thing I have from this chapter is Legolas keeps his promise to Gimli about going to the glittering caves at Helm's Deep. And even they said something along the lines of this is the first time a dwarf has ever bested an elf in the you know the use of words because uh, Legolas couldn't find the words to describe the glittering caves and I thought that was really cool. And then they start making their way towards Isengard and Gimli. Uh, uh, Legolas cashes in on Gimli's you know promise to go into Fangorn Forest with him at, at that end. So that ends up uh, going to be he's like you know fulfilling his end of the deal at this point in time in Fangorn. But they go to Isengard and they debrief quickly with Treebeard. And Treebeard lets Gandalf know that he had let Saruman leave Orthanc because he was a broken creature. And he said he doesn't like to cage living things. And we'll see if the mercy of Treebeard is going to end up you know, causing any problems down the line. It's very possible. Uh, but he was remember that you know, Gandalf had asked Treebeard to make sure he doesn't escape. And Treebeard, I thought it was kind of cool, just does his own thing. And you know, Gandalf is someone who's very powerful and very revered. And Treebeard's like, yeah, yeah, you still don't command me though. Like, I, like I'm never going to try to, to, you know, cage living things if no harm can be done from them. And Gandalf's, well, you know, maybe no harm, maybe some harm. Who knows? He said one. He's gonna have one bite left, and we'll see if that comes to pass or not. But uh, yeah, the, the fellowship is officially ended with Gimli and Legolas staying to see Fangorn. So I'm gonna read the last two paragraphs on page 280, where you know. This is the last time they're all together as a unit. And the last two paragraphs here, it says, Here at last comes the ending of the Fellowship of the Ring, said Aragorn. Yet I hope before long you will return to my land with the help that you promised. We will come if our lords allow us, said Gimli. Well, farewell, my hobbits. You should come safe to your own homes now, and I shall not be kept awake for fear of your peril. We will send word when we may, and some of us may yet meet at times, but I fear that we shall not all be gathered together ever again. So that is the official ending of them all being together in the same location. I thought that was pretty sad. They've had so much together. They've, they've you know, traversed some of the craziest times and the biggest perils, and they've all survived. And you know, this is you know, all good things must come to an end. They say, right? Uh, as they're continuing their journey north, they run into Saruman on the road, and he refuses their offers of kindness. He's just bitter and angry, and just you know, the shell of his former powerful self. They, he, you know, even Galadriel and the elves offer his help, and he scorns them, and you know says his you know angry words, and ends up moving along and decides he's like this is the last time that we could possibly help you. And he said, "Good, let it be the last. I'm, I don't want anything to do with you guys." You know, <laughs> so it's kind of sad, but uh, yeah. Then there was this part before they start you know making plans for what's going to happen after they arrive in, in Rivendell. I, I thought this was cool. It says Gandalf, Elrond, Celeborn, and Galadriel, they all met together in this area and they all spoke to each other. But if you were passing by, it would just look like stone statues because they were not actually speaking with words. They were like speaking with each other's minds. And that just to me really shows again the power of Gandalf. And you know, elves already always have this like mystical, magical energy around them, but Gandalf is almost an equal to them. And, you know, and then that's act there's actually something that happens at the very, very end that we'll that we'll talk about in just a little bit. 
that really kind of puts Gandalf on the same scale as these major elves, and I thought that is really cool. So I definitely wanted to take note of that. Then the rest of the company arrived in Rivendell and spent Bilbo's 129th birthday with him, and Bilbo only needs one more year at this point to tie the old Took for the oldest hobbit in living memory. Then they celebrate that little birthday with him. Little birthday, 129 years old. Big birthday. <laughs> they celebrate that birthday with him. And then they leave Bilbo and they head back towards the Shire. And that's the biggest things I took away from that first chapter of Many Partings. Was there anything that you took away or wanted to add to that? Uh, the only part was <clears throat> that I kind of took away from this is that the group runs into Saruman and tell me if I read this wrong. I read him like he's a beggar queen, <laughs> like in Game of Thrones, like the beggar queen you are, <laughs> and because uh, it describes he's basically become a beggar, right? Does that mean he's like poor and stuff? Yeah, absolutely. He's he's in the same rags and that are in tatters that he's been wearing for however long, and he's all travel worn, and he only has his basically I call worm tongue like a beaten dog at this point. He's like pulling along, kicking him and shit, and. <laughs> Yeah, he, he is just a shell of his, his former self. You know, he has that one little bit of power left, which is his voice that can enchant you. But outside of that, he's got nothing to his name. He has nothing at all. He's, just, he's leaning on a staff. He's like an old withered man, like a beggar. Yeah, that's exactly how he was characterized. Talk about a real fall from grace. <laughs> that's what I would say, man. But uh, yeah, no, I thought you nailed everything. Uh, off to the next one. For sure. So the next uh, chapter we're going to cover here is called Homeward Bound. And I really only have like three takeaways in this <laughs> whole chapter. There's not a lot happened. You know, really, uh, they end up going to Bree. <laughs> they see old Mr. Butterbur, the prancing pony. And we just learned that things were not going well in Bree. And Butterbur tells him about how bad business has been and how a big fight broke out that left five people dead. Two hobbits and three normal-sized men. And I said it had a lot to do with like Bill Fernie and some of the other you know ruffians and scavengers and those kind of things there so that's that's one of the things i learned and then thought one part that was really cool is that old pony that sam bought back in fellowship of the ring yeah. named bill uh bill ended up finding his way back to brie of his own accord and sam takes bill with him as they leave when they leave and go back towards the shire and if you guys remember he had to let brie go i'm sorry he had to let bill go uh, before they entered the mines of Moria because it was no place for a horse. And they, I guess a pony, but because of the size of Sam. But they ended up finding its way all the way back to Bree on his own, and that's pretty cool. And now we get, like, it's almost like a full circle moment, uh, Sam and Bill's reunion. Then, just so that way we have some like, good context to close out this chapter, the other part that I have that I thought was pretty interesting, I guess I can say, is just... The last few chat, the, the last couple chapters, I'm sorry, last few paragraphs of the last little bit of this chapter it says, when talking about Gandalf specifically, we, when we learn, like you said, there's some trouble going on in the Shire. Uh, Mary says, "Well, we've got you with us, speaking to Gandalf, so things will be soon cleared up." And Gandalf replies to him, "I'm with you at present," said Gandalf, "but soon I shall not be. I'm not coming to the Shire. You must settle its affairs yourselves. This is what you have been trained for. Do you not yet understand?" My time is over. It is no longer my task to set things to right, nor to help folk to do so. And as for you, my dear friends, you will need no help. You are grown up now, grown indeed very high, among the great you are, and I no longer have any fear at all for any of you. 
But if you would know, I am turning aside soon. I'm going to have a long talk with Bombadil, such a talk as I have not had in all my time. He is a moss gatherer, and I have been a stone doomed to rolling. But my rolling days are ending, and now we shall have much to say to one another. In a little while they came to the point on the east road where they had taken leave of Bombadil, and they hoped and half expected to see him standing there to greet them as they went by, but there was no sign of him, and there was a gray mist on the barrow down southwards and a deep veal over the old forest far away. They halted and Frodo looked south wistfully. I should dearly like to see the old fellow again, he said. I wonder how he was getting on. As well as ever, you may be sure, said Gandalf, quite untroubled, and I should guess, not much interested in anything that we have done or seen, unless perhaps in our visits to the Ents. There may be a time later for you to go and see him, but if I were you, I should press on for now to home, or you will not come to the Brandywine Bridge before the gates are locked. But there are any gates, said Mary, not on the road. You know that quite well. There's a Buckland gate, of course, but they'll let me through at any time. There weren't any gates, you mean, said Gandalf. I think you will find some now, and you might have more trouble even at the Buckland Gate than you think, but you'll manage all right. Goodbye, dear friends. Not for the last time. Not yet. Goodbye. He turned Shadowfax off the road, and the great horse leaped the green dyke that he ran beside it, and that at a cry from Gandalf he was gone, racing toward the Barrow Downs like wind from the north. Well, here we are, just the four of us that started out together, said Mary. We have left all the rest behind, one after another. It seems almost like a dream that has slowly faded. Not to me, said Frodo. To me, it feels more like falling asleep again. And those are the big takeaways I had from that chapter there, the Homeward Bound chapter. Did you have any additional takeaways that you had in that end? That was it. You had more than I did. This <laughs> chapter was all about them just making their merry way old home. You see how I did that? That pun there? <laughs> oh, yeah, man. But I'll let you take it away, the the big one for today. This should have just been its own novel, in my opinion. <laughs> Anyways, I'll let you take it away. Sounds good. I don't know if it should have been its own novel. It's not too much that happens. You know, I mean, I can't say there's not too much that happens. It's just like, I don't think there's enough to really put a whole novel about. But anyways, this, this chapter here, the third chapter we'll cover today, is called The Scouring of the Shire. And... So, few big takeaways I have on here because this this is the majority and the bulk and you know the big action of what we'll discuss today here before we close out everything is that they come to a gate and Mr. Lotho has struck fear into the hobbits with a man as a bodyguard and he's kind of an enforcer in a way and it turns out to be none other than that Bill Fernie guy and Mary and Pippin climb the gate and drive him out of the Shire so he's a little coward he's a little Bill Fernie he can go fuck himself uh, Mary, and, <laughs> Mary and Pippin, thanks to the Entwaters, are actually uncommonly large and strong, and, and obviously we, we already know that they've been trained by the Knights of Rohan and Gondor, and they've got experience in their own travels as well that they came across during the time with the Fellowship of the Ring. So they are now in this position, and this is where this full circle comes from, as Gandalf was telling them, you know, you, you guys are fully trained for this. You don't understand yet because it hasn't come to it, but... That this has all been leading up. This is your guys' time to shine. As we've been talking about, Merry and Pippin, for the most part, up until like the big battle in Pelennor Fields, obviously Pippin and Merry made their presence known. Um, Pippin stabbed that... You know, obviously, that wasn't on Pelennor Fields, but at the front gates of Mortar, Pippin stabbed the troll that was about to kill Baragond, and then Merry stabs the, the Witch King of Agnmar, 
And so that way, uh, Eowyn was able to stab it in the face and kill it because she was not a man. So they've done their fair share of great things, but it's all built up to now they are the the, the quote-unquote warriors of the Shire. You know, Shire folk don't really have any. They're all farmers and, and just peaceful people. But we've come back and the Shire is not at peace at all. And so now this is where Merry and Pippin's time to shine comes in. So yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. So... The, the chief there, Mr. Lotho, he ordered that the four hobbits be arrested, and they just kind of laugh at the group that tries to arrest them. <laughs> He's like, okay, we're, we're, we're coming, we're all going to the same place. He's like, well, don't forget, I arrested you. He's like, okay, sure you did, man. <laughs> like, and they kept walking and walking, and because the other hobbits get tired, and they haven't been on these travels, like they all end up tired out, and they needed to stop. The four hobbits keep going onwards, and you know, I thought that was pretty cool. But Mary and Pippin decide to act, and you know they want to raise the Shire and revolt upon the usurpers and and these these uh, ruffians that have come in and, and taken over. And a lot of them are regular sized men. Some they described as half orc and you know, just just really gross people. <laughs> I don't know, just, you know, just people uh, uncouth, if you will. But I'd say that you know fighting starts po- uh, you know it's, it's popping. They go to get an army of Took. So Pippin himself. This is what ends up happening is that uh, we learned that Pippin's dad was not taking the stuff hand like laying down and he had his own little uh, fiasco going on and they took to the, the holes where they couldn't get you followed and they were basically picking off the vice like the, the bad guys one by one that would come on their land and trespass and you know they uh, but they, he Pippin said he went to go grab him out of hiding and they're gonna bring back an army of the Tooks thought that was pretty cool but yeah some and, and while he goes and grabs them to bring them back, Mary sets a trap for the ruffians where the lead ruffian decided to attack. He was actually shot dead with four arrows. And after that, the rest of the first group of 20 people that were there, they all surrendered. And they, they tied him up and put him in the little house and said, you bad boys stay here. And then uh, <laughs> that, that's when you know, a bigger band of ruffians, about 100 strong, they came to quell the rebellion. But none of these guys, like I said, they're not masterminds. They're just... They're bullies for the better part of it. They just happen to be bigger than hobbits because they're the race of men, and they think they don't. They're not very smart, but they just stronger and faster, and just by you know, the, I would say biological composition. <laughs> like you know, but the fact is, is that Merry and Pippin have been trained in war at this point. They've fought at Helm's Deep. They fought in Gondor. You know, they they know what they're doing. They have like a decent mind for war, right? So, Merry takes charge once more. And they end up having a little, they battle it out. And Mary's plans really paid off very well. Out of the 100 ruffians, 70 of them were killed. And another dozen were taken prisoner. So that's 82 of 100 accounted for. The rest ran off. And out of the hobbits there, only 19 hobbits were killed and 30 wounded. So I would say that's pretty good odds. Like They did a damn good job of taking out the, those, those 100 ruffians, right? So... From here as well, what I really noticed is Frodo took more of a back seat. It says he didn't even raise his sword yeah. during all of this battle. Did, did not raise his sword. His, his, his main goal was to talk the hobbits out of killing the men that surrendered. He wanted to make sure they all took mercy on them and in their wrath didn't try to kill them and like really kind of ruin the nature of who hobbits really are. You know, so that was pretty cool. But it was really, it was really Merry and Pippin were the two that did the majority of, of the grunt work and like the, the fighting and all that, so... Uh, then, as it moves on there, and most of the ruffians are cleared out, obviously there's still a few things that, that need to be settled here in, at, towards the end of this chapter. But one of the funny things, I don't want to say funny, but of all the stuff that Sam's upset by, he's just absolutely devastated when he finds the party tree has been cut down. 
the damn party tree really ruined Sam's day. <laughs> so he's really sad about that because that's where Bilbo had that party where he first you know, put the ring on and disappeared. And that's what kind of set everything in motion with the story and stuff. So uh, he was really devastated about that tree. Uh, you know, and then throughout this whole time, they they refer to like the chief, Mr. Lotho, or whatever. But they said that that he has a guy named Sharky working like for him, and that Sharky might end up being the mastermind behind everything that's happened in the Shire. And so they end up going to the spot where they're looking to find Mr. Lotho, and you know, talk some sense into him, and really finally put the nail in this coffin and get all you know, get this all sorted and get the Shire back to it what it needs to be, and. Unfortunately, they, they get in there and, you know, Mr. Sharky is none other than Saruman himself. And so, you know, because Frodo, <laughs> Mary Pippin, Gandalf, they were in Rivendell celebrating Bill's birthday, because obviously, remember, we talked about this previously, is they passed Saruman on the trail there. That gave Saruman time to get to the Shire because they spent so much time with Bilbo uh, in Rivendell's birthday. So even though it just seems like we talked about Saruman, how the heck did he get there before them? Well, keep in mind, they had made a pit stop in Rivendell, and they stayed there for quite some time celebrating with, with Bilbo and, and getting all that together. So uh, Sharky, and I thought this was kind of cool as well. There was like a little bit of a um, like an asterisk next to the name Sharky, and what ends up really being here is that uh, the the reason why he was called Sharky, it, it was it, like the name is Orcus in origin. Its real name in like the old Orc language is Sharku, which means old man, but they called him like Sharky. So that, that's what the Orcs called him as their their lead guy. So that was pretty cool there. But uh, yeah, so you know, Saruman ends up being here, and it's funny. It really, Saruman really is a shell of his former self because they basically tell him to get out, and he's like, "Okay, fine." <laughs> you know, he, he doesn't really put up much of a fight. Uh, you know, but as they, as they banish him from the Shire and kick him out, he he walks past Frodo, but then draws a knife and stabs Frodo uh, in like in the, the chest area. But the blade is turned and broken by the male coat that's hidden underneath Frodo's shirt. And that was like the last real big attempt that Saruman had at, at, at causing a problem. And what ends up happening here is, you know, Sam tackles him, pulls him down and draws a sword. And, and Frodo's like, don't kill him. Like, there's no point. It doesn't, it's not going to do anything for us. He was great once. Like, he, he, like this, is, this is more of a punishment for him, basically, than death itself. And so they let Saruman go. And Saruman really kind of treats Wormtongue like shit for the last time. He bullies him for the very last time because <laughs> we learned that Wormtongue is the one that killed the chief, Mr. Lotho. So Mr. Lotho actually is no longer alive. Uh, Wormtongue killed him at the request of Saruman. And uh, even though he tried to, like, Saruman tried to put the blame on Wormtongue, that it was Wormtongue's fault that the chief was dead. Wormtongue's like, you told me to do it. And he's like, yes, you do everything I tell you to. You're like a dog. And then Wormtongue snaps and cuts Saruman's throat. Then runs off, but the Hobbit bowmen actually shoot Wormtongue dead before he got too far, and so passes Saruman. And hopefully, the last stroke of war in a time where things are supposed to kind of be getting to a uh, peaceful stand. And you know that is that is how Saruman's story comes to an end. He's, his throat is cut by his own 
his own little uh, beaten dog. It, in a way, you know what Wormtongue reminded me of at this point? It reminded me of like Reek, Theon Greyjoy, when he yeah. was just like, <laughs> like really like, cut down and just not any, like, you know, he was spirit broken and he was basically like less than an animal they put him remember they put him in the cages with the dogs ramsey did and so it just the worm tongue in this sense really reminded me of what uh theon Greyjoy was when ramsey took him and, and made him into reek so just broken and spirited but finally sometimes the, the dog snaps right and that's what happened worm tongue snapped and cut saruman's throat and you know he was a great power in the world and it said like something cool like, like a, a shrouded mist and a cool thing came through like a cold front and you know, at the passing of, of of Sauron there, and that his his bones withered and he turned into a skull quickly. It was just it was really cool how that was characterized um, there in the book. So I thought that was interesting. And so I, I actually, you know what I'll do? I'll read that. It says to the dismay of those that stood by about the body of Sauron, a gray mist gathered and rising slowly to a great height, like smoke from a fire, as a pale shrouded figure it loomed over the hill, and for a moment it wavered looking to the west, but out of the west came a cold wind and it bent away with a sigh, dissolving into nothing, and Frodo looked down at the body with pity and horror, for as he looked, it seemed that long years of death were suddenly revealed in it, and it shrank, and the shriveled face became rags of skin upon a hideous skull. Lifting up the skirt of the dirty cloak that sprawled beside it, he covered it over and turned away. And that's the end of that, said Sam, a nasty end, and I wish I needn't have seen it, but it's a good riddance. And the very last end of the war, I hope, said Mary. I hope so, said Frodo inside, the very last stroke. But to think that it should fall here at the very door of Bag End, among all my hopes and fears, at least I never expected that. I shan't call it the end till we've cleared up this mess, said Sam gloomily, and that'll take a lot of time and work. And that is the biggest things I took away from that chapter, the scouring of the shower, where the Shire, where they had to battle to, to take it back. But was there anything else that you wanted to add there, some bigger takeaways that you wanted to mention? Just some side notes. I think what happened with, uh, you know, Deathly Hallows Part 2 was they read the wrong chapter when Voldemort died. I think they took it straight out of this fucking book and you got Thanos snapped. I don't know if they, not to bring up differences from stuff we did in past seasons, but I don't know if the director read the title of the book he had in his hand when he was translating the script, but it looks like... They just took what happened with Voldemort straight out of that chapter right there. I I don't know, man, because in Deathly Hallows, we all know Voldemort's body is moved in with the bodies at the school, so I don't really know. Maybe uh, he got Thanos snapped. We don't know exactly what happened, but... No, I thought it was a really good chapter. My only thing is, like, I kind of wish, in a way... Like, because we all know J.R.R. Tolkien had all these different ideas before he died. And, you know, he developed the Silmarillion, which is kind of like a historian, more like a historic timeline. We'll get into the appendixes in a couple weeks, but like even the appendixes here is really like a timeline. I almost kind of wish this chapter was like in the appendixes or like its own thing, like how he came up with The Hobbit, like if he really wanted to do this he could have just released it in like another little book like oh it wasn't over in the shire yet like mary and pippin were playing safety patrol <laughs> like it wasn't quite over right when you thought it was so i came out with this little one shot to keep my keep my uh fame going for the next 10 years like i've been okay with that or like throw it in your appendixes where you have like another 100 pages like <laughs> my kind of thing is like 
it was a really cool chapter don't get me wrong like i actually truly enjoyed the chapter because it was a lot of action and a lot of stuff going on but like it just feels out of place for me like because like you have this big two climaxes so like you're ready for kind of like the resolution like we're wrapping things up and then all of a sudden you find out like even in the same chapter where you hear Saruman like it's over you're a beggar all of a sudden it's not over like secretly he's been working behind the scenes the entire time I'm like like all right like so I think the problem for me with this chapter like I really honestly like being flat out honest i really enjoyed the chapter like i'm not saying i didn't enjoy it for what it was i did i just feel like it's out of place either if you want to put that in there that's fine do your thing put it in there like the first chapter of the book like after the two towers or something after they had the battle of helms deep after the ints just took down sarmon like do that then but don't make it the shire put it like somewhere else where mary and pippin get together or something or make it its own thing or put it in the appendixes don't ramp this up and then rush it in one chapter just so you can say mary and pippin are playing safety patrol and sam's upset over some plant <laughs> that was buried in the ground i don't know man just my thoughts i'm probably being overly harsh it's just like I would have really truly enjoyed it more if it was in another place versus I was just at the point like, dude, like, shit, like, I'm not enjoying this because I'm just trying to get through it now. Just tell me the ending of the damn story. Anyways, back to you. Sorry. I actually disagree with you fully. I, I really thought that this is a great way to end it just simply because it, it, it's just, just when you think everything is, is done and over. They, their homeland couldn't have been unaffected this whole time. While they were gone, bad things should have happened. You know, they were the ones, like the main people there, and you know that even, it was like foreshadowed in the chapter previous. Again, it sounds like you might not find all as well back in the Shire, and you know, and they, and that's why also if you think about it, it was foreshadowed when Sam met Galadriel too back in the when he looked into the mirror, he saw the things, certain things happening in there. So I, I liked it. I think it was a great spot for it. I'm glad it only lasted one chapter. I just didn't think it was that, that like you know, big, it wasn't big enough to have its own parting. And plus, we needed to get a resolution of what happens to Saruman, and it gave us that in a way, you know. And it said, you know, he's been kind of working against the Shire uh, ever since they learned that the, the ring was there. So he paid more attention to the Shire, even though it was not characterized throughout the novel story, because he was, you know, sending the big troops down to Helm's Deep to, to wipe out the world of men in Rohan. But I think it was great. I think it was exactly what it needed before it, it calmed down. We needed to see Mary and Pippin take a lead role in, into something because everyone else had their their moments and you know they had small ones. I, and you know they they had each one big one, I guess. But it was just really nice to see them come into their own and and be recognized as as you know because out of everyone in the Fellowship of the Ring, you could pretty much argue that Mary and Pippin were probably the most quote unquote useless. I don't want to use the word useless because they weren't. But like out of everyone else there, they were definitely the least effective. And so this was just nice to see them kind of come into their own and have a lead moment and you know be able to take their home back. I, I think it was fine. I just don't think there was enough story in that to make it its own thing. And then if you write it in the appendixes, when you never know what ends up happening to Saruman. You know, it's, it'd just be like a like an anecdote. And then you know, that's what kind of fun is that? It, I thought it was cool to kind of get the <laughs> the resolution there and. You know, just when you think all the action's done, you just get one more last taste of battle before before everything closes out. I I for sure enjoyed it. It was it was my favorite chapter of the ones that you know we reread today. 
And, uh, you know, I don't think they could have really done it much differently that would have made it that much better. You know, I don't know if you put it in the appendixes, it has the same impact. And I don't think it's got enough detail or juice to make its own story. So I just, I don't know. I think, I really think that I mean, they I did, did it right. That. I, uh, yeah, sorry to interrupt you. Just saying, like, I agree with what you're saying. Like, I guess the more you could put it is, like, say you made this whole, like, small little novel on how Mary and Pippin ran around the Shire you know, playing politics. Maybe they were running for elections. Maybe they were recruiting people. Maybe some farmhands to go up against the, what were they called? I almost called them refugees. <laughs> the, like, bad people. What no, are they called? Ruffians. ruffians. Ruffians, yeah. Like, I, like they reminded me almost of, like, the Thins from Game of Thrones. Like, I don't know. Like, it didn't have a I would, I would say they it. remind me more of just the wildlings in general. Like, the ones that didn't have okay. any really real denomination. They were just, you know, like... I want to say they, they were like the people that try to rob you on the side of the road. You know what I mean? Like that's, <laughs> yeah, that's kind yeah. of what they, they reminded me of for sure. I mean, it's kind of like, like I mean, the, I, like, like bandits in a way. They're kind of like bandits, you know? I mean, I guess it's good. I guess like the point of this chapter is to show like Mary and Pippin kind of took control, took charge of the town back, I guess is right. Yeah. Safety patrol. We're playing safety patrol here. But okay, like a I, it wasn't terrible. Like it wasn't like I liked the chapter. I truly did. I just think it was like a bit out of place for me. And then to have the whole plant thing right in the middle of it. Like he's upset with the tree. <laughs> okay, fine. Back to you, man. Yeah. No, no worries. You know, everyone everyone's gonna have their their, their thoughts on it, but yeah, just personally, I just don't know how else it could have been done and drawn the same level of impact. Easy, but. you don't put it in there. You cut it out completely. So then what happens to Sorrow? So then, then, then in our mind, Saruman's just gonna be a beggar for all his days walking across the earth. That's my problem, right? Great debate card. <laughs> <laughs> Great debate card on this because this is this is a big deal. You just mentioned him in that chapter J.R.R. Tolkien about he became a beggar. And you think that's it? And then you're like, oh, he's not a beggar. He hasn't been a beggar at all. He's been secretly doing underground shit just like the Kingpin and Daredevil. So he's really trying to make another rise to power like Saruman. Don't throw some more shit in there, man. Either he's a beggar queen or he's not a beggar queen. But this cannot be forgiven. <laughs> what are your thoughts on that? My thoughts are he was still kind of a beggar because, like I said, when they showed up, he's bro was basically like, "Hey, man, you gotta go." He's like, "Fine," <laughs> like, like you know what I mean? Like he didn't put up, a, he didn't put up a fight at all. Like, he didn't try to to attack them or anything. Like, they they overtook it. They took out all of his quote unquote men, like those ruffians, those bandits. They took them all out when he realized that he's got no men left. Like, he's like, "All right, I'll leave." <laughs> and then, and then, I'll and then leave. he tries like one last attack to try to kill Frodo, and you know he grabbed that knife and then. He had, you know, stabbed him, but he didn't realize that Frodo was wearing that male coat and actually broke his knife. And to me, it's great. It just, it's like, like you, you mentioned it perfectly earlier when you said, like, what a fall from grace. Like, this was one of the most revered individuals in all of Middle Earth. If you go back to the Fellowship of the Ring, before he turned Trixie and false and was treasonous, <laughs> before he was treasonous, he was revered. He was like the head of this, the White Council. He was Saruman, the White, you know, and then. He just all this power he got, and it went to his head, and, and he tried to build an army to rival that of, of Sauron, and together overtake it, and, and then now he can't even hold the Shire <laughs> with like bandits and stuff. Like like I just thought it was a great way to characterize how much how far he fell from from greatness. Like that's that's my. I thought. do agree with that. I do agree with that. My point being was like. 
Don't sit and act like he's in the poorhouse or beggar beggar. If he's over there getting ruffians, taking his side, and he's trying to overtake towns on the side. But well, keep in, keep in mind on that that Gandalf said that when they left Isengard, and, and keep in mind what I said as well, too, that they were all in Rivendell, you know, spending their sweet-ass time celebrating Bilbo's birthday, <laughs> and that gave, like, uh, gave Saruman enough time to, you know, kind of fulfill all those plans that like he already had put them in motion in the beginning when they were searching for the ring because he realized that the, the ring came from the Shire so of course some of his attention went there throughout the entirety of the story and then the, for that gives him like that last stronghold and remember what Gandalf said to Treebeard is like that, that snake has one last tooth to bite with and like you know we'll see what ends up happening and that was the last bite is the, the attempt you know, to, to ruin the, the homeland of the people who brought about his downfall so it was like almost like yeah. a spiteful thing so that's, that's like I would say so, and then one last thing, and then this great debate card is going to the shadows. <laughs> going to the shadow realm. Like, since this is Saruman, do you think Gandalf had any sort of idea he was trying to do this with the Shire? I think so. And not, I don't know if he knew it was... He just bailed. He was over there hanging out with Tom Bombadil, having a good old time, drinking some meat or whatever the fuck they didn't mention because that was going on behind closed doors. And he just said, screw it, man. <laughs> going on back to where I came from. You guys have a good time. Good luck with that shit. I've already been fighting in probably the greatest battle in all of Middle Earth. I am not dealing with this Shire shit anymore. Well, he even said that himself. He's like, because that's when Mary said, well, we have you with us, so we'll make quick work of everything. And I was like, no, my part in doing stuff here is over. Like, I'm not taking part in anything. He's like, you guys are trained for this. This is this is your time now. Like My time here like as the person who writes the wrongs is done. You know, that, that so, and, and in a way, it's even more of an insult that Gandalf, like, to, to Sauron, that Gandalf was like, dude, this guy's not even worth my time. I'm going to send four hobbits, and they'll take care of your ass, Saruman, because you can't do shit anymore. You're not worth my time. I'm going to go have a chat with Bombadil, because it's way more important than dealing with your beggar ass. And so, and so. I agree, man. I agree. All right, you win. Great debate card to the Shadow Realm. I'll let you take the last chapter for the day. All right, sounds like a plan. So, the last chapter is called The Grey Havens, and this is where we kind of close out the story in, in its entirety here when it comes to the novels outside of the, the appendixes and, and all that stuff. But the biggest things I have in this chapter that I took away is that Lobelia, who was Lotho's wife, because remember, Lotho, Lotho was killed by Wormtongue uh, in secret. No one really knew about it. They thought that he was still running things, but it was actually Saruman. But uh, Lo, Lobelia, uh, Lotho's wife, gives Bag End back to Frodo. And when she died the following spring, she left all her money to Frodo to help the hobbits that Lotho made homeless by his rise to chief, Tin Power, uh, you know, help them get those, their homes back. So she did one last deed, and it said like, the, the score was settled. Like, there, that was it. They never had an issue with them again. So uh, Then, you know, because of Sam being really upset about the party tree, uh, Sam uses the gift of Galadriel that, that she gave to him and he plants new trees to restore what Saruman destroyed and put like that one actual seed so he had a bunch of like little dirt or whatever or soil in it but he had one like silver seed and he planted that silver seed where the old party tree was and uh, it ended up being like a malorn tree which is something that is only grown like that doesn't grow in those lands and so it was a really special tree now so like, Sam gets his tree back which is nice <laughs> but uh, you know he was mentioning that you know, because of the the power of that gift and, and Galadriel and, and her greatness, that one year of the trees growing was almost equivalent to twenty years. So I thought that was really really cool. You know, it said you know fourteen twenty was one of the best years ever in the Shire. 
You know, like the children were grown. They had like that that like blonde bushy hair that was actually pretty rare and stuff. You know, they, I thought that was really cool. Actually, I'm going to go ahead and read this. It says, Altogether, 1420 in the Shire was a marvelous year. Not only was there wonderful sunshine and delicious rain in due times and perfect measure, but there seemed something more, an air of richness and growth and a gleam of a beauty beyond that of mortal summers that flicker and pass upon the Middle Earth. All the children born or begotten in that year, and there were many, for fair, were fair to see and strong, and most of them had rich golden hair that had before been rare among hobbits. The fruit was so plentiful that young hobbits very nearly bathed in strawberries and cream, and later they sat on the lawns under the plum trees and ate until they made piles of stone like small pyramids or heaped skulls of a conqueror. Then they moved on, and no one was ill, and everyone was pleased except those who had to mow the grass. And so in the south farthing, the vines were laden, and the yield of leaf was astonishing, and everywhere there was so much corn that at harvest every barn was stuffed. North farthing barley was so fine that the beer of 1420 malt was long remembered and became a byword. Uh, indeed, a generation later, one might hear an old gaffer in an inn after a good pint of well-earned ale put down his mug and with a sigh say, Ah, that was proper 1420, that was. So it just goes to show that this is like a very prosperous year after, after they planted the, that, those trees you know, from Gladriel after Saruman had the majority of the trees around the Shire ripped and, and torn apart. Uh, and a couple things here, Frodo was ill and Sam didn't know it because Frodo tried to hide it well. And then Sam went on to marry Rosie Cotton, and they moved in with Frodo in the spring of 1420 together. So now in, in the little, uh, the, the bag end there, we got Frodo, we got Rosie and Sam all living together under the same hole, because there's lots of room in there, because he's a rich hobbit there. Uh, <laughs> then, like I said, Merry and Pippin were kind of revered by the hobbits. It says they were now large and magnificent, and they were referred to as Lordy, because remember, that, that ant water that they drank really helped them grow in stature. It wasn't just because they were larger-than-life characters out of a story that did great deeds. They physically grew with that with the ant stuff, and so they were much taller and stronger than most hobbits were at this point in time and uh, then from there I have like Frodo is having a tough time both in October and in March with his injuries that never fully healed and to kind of give context to that like the 6th of October is when he was stabbed by the first black rider at Weathertop in the Fellowship of the Ring and that wound never fully healed so on this every 6th of October he kind of went into a, 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 like a darkness of mind and like and I wouldn't say a fit but like a you know, he, he was he was doing all that he could to survive that day just because it, the, the wound, it just it ends up flaring up at the, the same day you know, as the years pass. And then on the other, the other one there, too, as well, the one in March, the, where he has his is, issues in March, is that's when Smeagol bit the, the uh, ring off his finger. And you know, he does not have a right uh, ring finger anymore because that's where he put it on and, and Gollum bit it off. And so in that wound, like, these cursed wounds... They hurt him like grievously on these days. So two times a year in October and March, he has to battle these these uh, illnesses. And so uh, to kind of continue on from there, Sam ends up having his first child. And first thought it was going to be a boy, and they were going to name it Frodo, but it ends up being a girl. And Frodo helps them name her, and they name her Eleanor after a flower of the elves that they found in Lorien. So I thought that was cool. Uh, then we got Bilbo. He passed the old took an age, ends up making it to 131. So Bilbo Baggins is the oldest hobbit in living memory now. Passed the old took. So he got that score settled. <laughs> then we find out that Frodo is leaving Middle Earth and going to the Grey Havens with the elves and on their way there to the shoreline that uh, has some of the most powerful individuals in Middle Earth all with them. We've got Galadriel, we've got Elrond, we've got Gandalf, right? 
And Elrond has the ring called Vilia on, and it has a blue stone in that, and that's supposed to be the greatest of the three elven rings. Galadriel has the ring Nenya that we've seen back in Fellowship of the Ring, and that's got a white stone in it. And then, surprise, surprise, Gandalf has the third elven ring on called Narya, and it's a red stone. So that thought that that's why I said that you know Gandalf kind of rises to the ranks of one of these high elves. You know he's got the third ring of power of the elves on his finger. Uh, you know Narya the red one. So uh, they are on the shoreline here, and Sam you know kind of saying his farewells to Frodo, but Pippin and Merry show up to see them off. You're joking with them, and they said you know you tried to escape us before and you couldn't do it, and this time it wasn't Sam that gave you up. Gandalf told us what was going to happen, and Gandalf was like, yeah, I'd rather you know three of you ride back versus Sam just by himself because you know that, that little bit of depression would have you know probably overwhelmed him a little bit. So. You know, all three of them say goodbye to Frodo as he boards that ship and sails off. And so Frodo does sail off, and Merry and Pippin and Sam head back to the Shire and part ways. And Sam comes home to his wife Rosie and his daughter Eleanor, and so our story ends. And that's the final takeaways I have from that chapter. Did you have anything additional to that? That was it, man. That's it. This is goodbye. Uh, Question. I mean, I wonder how powerful Gandalf is now now that he has that ring like how much more powerful would that really make him at that point i don't even know if it would be power like if power is a way to describe that just simply because since the ring of power was destroyed i think that ended up giving power to these other rings so i don't know if these rings themselves have power or if it's more of a symbolism of how he's looked upon as like you know for his deeds i don't actually know if these rings of power now have the, have actual power and they they might i don't know it's not really ever described to us and maybe it's left to our imagination but you know maybe it's just a symbolism of all that he's done for middle earth and how he's earned that position amongst you know the the great the great people of the world so i don't know I, that's a good question maybe it does give him a level of power maybe you know he is on par with with any sort of individual that walks uh who knows i don't know but uh, it's it's a great question i don't know what do you think about it uh i don't know i mean um what's interesting too is uh i was researching at one point this was a while back when i was looking at this but tolkien actually had wrote a journal article where he had thought about an alternate ending for gandalf as if he had taken the ring for himself and decided never to put it in the book and went this route and uh, gandalf was like basically all powerful like saruman so i mean but i don't think those rings work like that is my point like i don't know like galadriel's like i you know i i just don't know because it it depends on how it i don't think they can wield it like that like how saruman wielded his we are sorry sauron wielded his so i i don't i don't know like i mean maybe he's just like ultimate power um it also made me wonder too like maybe this is like symbolism for like they were actually dying but you were saying when we were talking this weekend that you saw it more as they were just going off to the undying lands but just an interesting like the way it's worded because it says at last the three companions turned away and never again looking back they rode slowly homewards and they spoke no word to each other until they came back to the Shire, but each had great comfort in his friends on the long, great road. And it said, so that was talking about Mary and Pippin, but 
it was basically saying right before then, like when they left, it says, and slowly the ship slipped away down the long gray firth in the light of glass of Galadriel that Frodo bore glimmered and was lost. And then the ship went out into the high sea and passed out into the west until at last on a night of rain, Frodo smelled a sweet fragrance on the air and heard the sound of singing that came over the water. And then it seemed to him that as in his dream in the house of Bombadil, the gray rain curtain turned all to silver glass and was rolled back and he beheld white shores and beyond them a far green country under a swift sunrise. But to Sam, the evening deepened to darkness as he stood at the haven and as he looked as the gray sea, he saw only a shadow on the waters and that was soon lost in the west. So I, I believe, I guess they really were actually making a journey but it kind of makes you wonder, like, symbolism. Like, maybe, like, he didn't survive that wound. Like, maybe this was... Never know. Like, maybe with all the dreams they have in this book, maybe this was all in, like, Sam's head <laughs> after he died. But to answer your question about Gandalf, uh, I just don't... Maybe he's... I agree with you. It's probably more a ranking of power to have that is what that is more than... Uh, showing strength or gaining uh, ability is what I would say because I don't think those rings work like that. But yeah, no, same takeaways though. Good stuff. That's really interesting too that you mentioned it because I could see you know it almost that that visualization talking about what Frodo saw past that that you had mentioned there you, you had read it it said that uh, that like the sea passed out into the west until at last on a night of rain Frodo smelled the sweet fragrance on the air and heard the sound of singing that came over the water then it seemed to him as if in his dream in the house of Bombadil the grain rain curtain turned to all silver glass and was rolled black and he beheld white shores and beyond them a far green country under a sunrise to I guess that could be a symbolism of like heaven right like like you you've mm-hmm. you've, got, you've passed on into paradise right these white shores this beautiful grass country this sweet smell of fragrance like it almost seems that as everything was all good, but remember, they're called undying lands, and that's where the elves come from. So it, I think it, it's a real place. But I could definitely see the argument for it being a symbolism for you know they went into like the final paradise. You know they finally were at rest after you know all the years of, of um, you know turmoil that they had. And so what I, the only thing I would say to kind of combat that in a way is says when talking about what when Frodo and Sam have a conversation about where Frodo's going. It says, Then uh, Bilbo woke up and opened his eyes. Hello, Frodo. Well, I have passed the old took today, so that's settled. And now I think I'm quite ready to go on another journey. Are you coming? Yes, I am coming, said Frodo. The ring bearers should go together. Where are you going, master? cried Sam, though at last he understood what was happening. To the havens, Sam, said Frodo. And I can't come? asked Sam. No, Sam. Not yet, anyways. Not further than the havens, though you too were a ring bearer, if only for a little while. Your time may come. Do not be too sad, Sam. You cannot be always torn in two. You will have to be one in a hole for many years. You have so much to enjoy and to be and to do. But, said Sam, and his tears started in his eyes, I thought you were going to enjoy the Shire for years and years after all you've done. So I thought too once, but I have been deeply hurt. I tried to save the Shire, and it has been saved, but not for me. And it must often be so, Sam, when things are in danger, someone has to give them up and lose them so that others may keep them. But you are my heir, and all that I had and might have had I leave to you. You also have Rose, and Eleanor, and Frodo Lad will come, and Rosie Lass, and Mary, and Goldilocks, and Pippin, and perhaps more than I cannot see. 
Your hands and your wits will be needed everywhere. You will be the mayor, of course, as long as you want to be, and the most famous gardener in history, and you will read things out of the Red Book and keep alive the memory of the age that is gone, so people remember the great danger, and so their beloved land will be loved all the more. And that will keep you busy and as happy as anyone can be, as long as your part of the story goes on. So for me, it's like, you, you can come join me, you know, but now is not the time for you. You still have got more work to do here. So uh, that's just kind of the way I took it. Like, you know, they are going to the Undying Lands, and Sam is going to be welcomed there once it's his time. And again, I guess that could also be a symbolism for, you know, the, the gates of heaven can open up for you, and you too will be in paradise because of all the sacrifices you've made along the way. But, you know, I, yeah, that's a really good question, man. I don't have a, a specific answer. You know, but the thing is, we've always heard about these Undying Lands that the elves are returning to. Uh, you know, after you know, some of them were leaving already when the Battle of Middle Earth was still going on before we had the resolution of if the ring was going to be destroyed or not. And so, you know, I always, I always look to them as, as a real place, you know, but I could definitely see the symbolism as it being, you know, a paradise and, you know, a place of final rest type of deal, you know. So I, I don't know. I, I think it's, it, it, it's open to interpretation for sure. Yeah. And here's another. Uh sentence i found that kind of backs where you could look at it both ways which is really interesting if you go back to the chapter the scoring of the shire that we covered today when frodo releases i guess you can say releases saruman like lets him go free saruman says well i go and i will trouble you no more but do not expect me to wish you health in long life you will have neither but that is not my doing i merely foretell so like that's interesting right like it's just interesting like these things so it makes you i still believe like because i always want to try to look at things straightforward because i'm just that kind of person so i believe what you're saying but i could definitely see the case as well like maybe at this very end here this is almost just like going on in sam's head after frodo maybe frodo didn't make it kind of thing and gandalf is gone but who knows see i don't i don't see it as like going on in sam's head i think if anything it was like they they sailed on the ship and maybe like because once you go the undying lands like you can't return is what they're saying yeah. so maybe maybe the undying lands themselves are a symbolism for for paradise for like what happens after life like you know for those you know the the special people that have done great deeds and and have heavy sacrifice are able to come like so it's it's like, like that the undying lands themselves are kind of like the Garden of Eden or something along the lines of the gates of heaven you know I could see that more than I think it like happened in Sam's head I think. Maybe this place it could be you, know, you. You could make the argument that the Undying Lands themselves and going there, that is like like the life after death type of deal. You know, like you like, will kind of die like, like like. Would you like, say that's kind of like the Veil in Order of the Phoenix? Maybe because the Veil has seemed like almost like in a, in a negative way. Like you step through it and then like you can't come back. But it's like you have like your your echo, your whispers echo across the, the, the thing. So I don't know, when I when I think of the veil and the Order of the Phoenix, I think of it more as a negative thing where this is, you know, where it had that, that, that sort of like rain rain veal thing that it was talking about in there. It's almost like right. the, the, the gates opening up and you're in paradise now. Like, you know, everything that you've done, uh, you know, you, there's no more hard times. So you, you're, you're finally at rest, whether that be, you know, no longer alive in the physical realm or, you know, maybe it is a physical place and you just, it, it, everything's all great and peaceful there and nothing bad happens. I don't know. I, I think that the biggest argument is, is are the Undying Lands actually a place that exists in, in life as we know it? Or are they a symbolism of an afterlife? I think that's the big, the big balance we got to figure out of, you know, what the symbolism of that is. 
And that's a really good point. And last thing I'll say this, and then we can wrap this question up about it, but it goes back to the point. Remember when we were talking about in the Fellowship of the Ring, when actually, which relates to this, because remember the Nazgul that stabbed Frodo. Well, remember Glorfindel, we were talking, like he had the ability to almost, almost like the Nazgul in a way too, like because of their magic, they could pass from like the spiritual realm to the actual physical present world. So maybe that's kind of what this is. That's kind of the way I'm going to decide to look at it because I guess it's up to your own interpretation. But that would be cool, like almost like he's saying, like you know, like I'm going to die, and Gandalf technically has already died with the Balrog, but then came back. So maybe this is kind of like you know we can't survive in the physical realm anymore. So this takes you here. So live the rest of your life, Sam, and then you'll pass into this realm maybe who knows i guess it's open to interpretation for sure is yeah i think that's the beauty of this like this is one that really doesn't have an answer you can because i could hear the argument for either one and you can make the point of either one and they both are valid i think that's that's something that's very cool that if i'm honest when i read this long ago when i was a kid i didn't really pick up on it it's something that i was i heavily overlooked just because it just you know in my head it was just oh they just they just sailed off to a better place other than middle earth because middle earth kind of sucks now you know like (laughs) there's nothing else going on there nothing for frodo you know he had this big adventure and he doesn't want to live at home anymore people there don't really care about him and so he's just going to go enjoy that that peace for the rest of his life over there with the elves but now you know looking at it from a different perspective it very well could be that was him going to his final rest like you know that that passing of the veil was them going into paradise or their version of heaven so yeah, man, it's just yeah, like that's that's the real crux of the matter. You know, do we do we think of the undying lands as a real place that exists in the living world, or is it you know an interpretation or a symbolism of of you know the final resting place in paradise? So, yeah, that's a really good question. Um, yeah, I guess you know before we we kind of close out, we always want to you know end on some dumb debates. Do you what debates do you have for the day, or if any? Uh, I guess my only debate would be I'll um, just say you know. Uh, about this book was there anything you would change overall in the book or change into a different place or was there anything you think should have been done differently and how would you rank just this book like overall like how would you rank it as as a book that's a good question and I will say I I, I, there's some parts I do want to save for our, our like rankings bonus episode that we'll do but to give an idea I just think there should have been more loss of life like in terms of important characters and i'll go into that more and that's kind of something i want to talk about when i give final thoughts on the series as a whole but i think that's one thing that really could have really dug deeper at the readers like heartstrings in a way i will say you know we speak on other uh, you know things that we've covered in the past here one thing about harry potter that i'll tell you what jk rowling was not afraid to kill characters off like she, like she was mer- the merciless. She was like Shonda Rhimes and Grey's Anatomy, man. Like, uh, you know, so that that's one thing I think that could have made this a little better. Um, but overall, I really do enjoy this novel. And there's a lot that are in that's in this book specifically, The Return of the King, that's not in the films, which is really interesting to me because the films up until this point had done a really good job of, for the most part, of, of capturing a lot of the big, you know, big deal things. Where this is, just to give you a quick explanation on what differences are. Remember, the ending of Saruman is way different from the movie to the novel. The way Saruman dies is just it's 100% <laughs> different. 
uh, you know, so, um, but there's just, yeah, it just seems to me that there was a lot of action in this, there, and it ends up being on multiple fronts, and I, this is the one time where the changing of perspectives between Legolas, Gimli, Aragorn, Mary Pippin, and Frodo and Sam, and then back to the Shire, like, all these perspectives, they all, they all have their own conflict that they're dealing with. Like Frodo and Sam trying to get that ring to Mordor, you know, the army trying to fight its last fight, uh, you know, on its last stand at the gates of Mordor, coming back to the Shire, having to take your home back after it's been invaded. So there's just so much that's great about this novel, and you know, out of all of them, there's not a lot that's terribly so. There's maybe a chapter or two that are like drag a little bit, right? But I, overall, I really enjoyed this book, and honestly, of the three, it might be my favorite of the three. This is just me talking fast. I'll have to go back and really kind of do some soul searching before I make my final decision when we do our, our bonus episode on this when we talk about rankings and stuff. But, you know, if I'm going to give it a rating scale off the cuff here today, uh, just on the novel, man, it, it's really hard, but I, I would say I, I give this bad boy like an 8.8 .8 out of 10. That's... I think that's what I give that, you know. I think it. I think it's really strong. I think, and it, what it does too, it wraps up a lot of loose ends. Like even it goes back and talks about how Gimli and Legos fulfilled their promises to each other to go in the caves and go in the woods. And Aomer talked about, you know, how they had the little the discussion about who's the most beautiful lady in all the world. These these things that are just they seem so inconspicuous and insignificant, they come back up again. You know, that's a really good way to tie up these loose ends. And that's some some of the issues that we have with. You know, other other stories or things that we've covered, at least, you know, especially when we talk about like, Game of Thrones on screen. Uh, who knows what it's going to be like? <laughs> yeah. You know, who knows what it's going to be like when the books come out, if the books come who out. Who knows if the <laughs> books come out? Right. <laughs> so, but like, they, you know, there was so many uh, tight, uh, you know, like loose ends that were not tied up properly in, in the uh, on screen that we've seen of Game of Thrones. And for the most part, they, they did a great job. And, you know, I know we never saw Tom Bombadil on screen in the movies, and I wish we did. And that's something I've brought up, you know, since the beginning of us covering this. But we even get like a reference to him again towards the end of Gandalf taking that final conversation with him, and even though we don't really know how that goes or not, like even that, like he comes back up at the very end, and you know the one. There's a few things that I wish were like maybe a little bit different, and this kind of goes for the series overall. Just what I'm about to say here, but Arwen doesn't seem to really play any sort of significant role in this series at all. Where in the films she plays a, quite a significant role, in my opinion. So, you know, maybe giving her a, a bigger role. You know that that might have been something that would have pushed it even higher. Maybe allowed me to give it like a 9.0 out of 10. Like for me, like there's never really gonna be a 10 out of 10. I'm not because like to me, there's nothing that's perfect in this world that's man man-made or man-created, right? So you'll never really hear me give it 10 out of 10 to really anything. Uh, you know, it's something that will have to really really blow me away. You know, even like my favorite novel, like Harry Potter and Goblet of Fire, I think I gave it a 9.7, right? So I, I just I don't think yeah, I, I think it was very very strong and for me an 8.8 is a very very good scale rating and that's that's the way I viewed it man what about you? Yeah I I mean I didn't have a problem with it it was I'm gonna give it an 8.8.5 and the only reason I'll say that is because so I really like the action in it. But just like you said, like Arwen didn't play much of a role. Kind of at the end there, like she was just handed over like a mail order bride <laughs> to Aragorn, and Eowyn like randomly ended up with Faramir. <laughs> but like I was okay with that. Like I was all right. Um, it was interesting. I kind of wish more of Gollum would play. You saw a little bit more inside of his character, kind of like how the films did. 
but overall it was it was great the big thing i wish i got you got to see a little bit more of is the battle at the black gate like i wish you got to see a little bit more of that but overall it's a very solid book i i wish the pippin mary chapter <laughs> was in the appendixes <laughs> i didn't have a problem with it man whatever but overall it was i'm 8.5 is still very high like that's not low at all like it's still really good i'm interested to see how the films do and compared to the books but uh yeah we'll see in our rankings how i decide to like rank it compared to the others because i'll kind of have to look back at the other because Everyone knows I'm a fellowship guy because that fucking battle with the Balrog is the shit. <laughs> but uh, so I'm kind of biased towards that. But it'll be interesting because it was a fantastic book. Like it, it was excellent. And I would say this is probably the more in-depth read out of the other two. It definitely is. And, and one thing about this book compared to other franchises that I think makes it such a deep read is the way it's written like um the way J.R.R. tolkien wrote it there's a lot of descriptive detail and it's almost written in a pentameter that can drag out in a way in some parts so that part was a little bit more difficult for me to get used to as opposed to reading like harry potter you kind of feel like you're actually just sitting in the room with harry ron and hermione Whereas like here, you know, it's character perspectives, but also kind of written in like a, you know, you can tell this book was written <laughs> not in the past five years. Like you can just kind of tell by the way it's written. And so it, that part took me a little bit, but 8.5 is still very high. So I thought it was a great book. And overall, I wouldn't have, I would change <laughs> the very infant chapter, but otherwise I thought it was great. What about you? What debates do you have for the day? I guess my debate is is, is something that Wolverine is not going to draw like any sort of conclusion to. But you know, what role going forward do we think the key members of the Fellowship are going to play in the next age of Middle Earth? You know, like Legolas went back to what the Mirkwood trees. They said he was even thinking about going across the seas at one part during this novel. Do you think he does that? You know, I know that uh, they made promises to Aragorn to you know, like Gimli said he would you know carve the stone and make it like a really great like if, if given leave by his uh, lords of where he's from. You know, kind of really shape up Minas Tirith's defenses and like their wall overall and all that stuff like. You know what big are they going to play a, a major role going forward? And you know are they all just going to be able to speak for their races? Are they going to be the head of their race eventually? Like is Gimli going to be like the king of the dwarves? Is it like it's going to be like the head of the elves now that Elrond and Galadriel and Celeborn and Gandalf went across the dying lands? And you know I guess you know Mary Pippin are they now going to be like the heads of the Shire with Sam? It's just I'm curious on what you believe like going forward into the next age of Middle Earth. What do you think is going to, you know, the role of everyone's going to be of the original Fellowship? Because obviously, right off the bat, Frodo's out of the picture, Gandalf's out of the picture, Boromir's dead. So really we've got Aragorn, who's the king of, of Gondor, and just pretty much the, the whole realm of Middle-earth as it is. So we got we figure out what his role is going forward, just like the lead dog and everything. But, you know, for Legolas, for Gimli, for Merry, for Pippin, you know, what, what are their roles going to be going forward? Sam, too, I guess. You know, because it just sounded, to me it kind of sounded like Sam just settled down into 
you know, domestic <laughs> life, right? He's got his, his his wife, he's got his daughter, and this, you know, it seems like he's kind of taking it easy. But I guess I, that's my biggest question or the debate I should say is, what do we think the roles of each of these key members of the fellowship is going to be moving forward? I honestly don't know, and I think that would have been awesome to see. Like, if you had a Gimli Legolas spinoff. Like, you know how we're always talking about all these Jon Snow spinoff series or whatever they're planning on doing? Like, if you had a Gimli Legolas spinoff show where, like, say, like, Legolas goes, like, Elrond has some task for them to do and he goes and gets Gimli that's been his, like, now new best friend. Like, almost like the Avengers thing. Like, I'm putting together a team. <laughs> like, like, that would be really cool to see. Like, I honestly don't know. I mean, in the appendixes here, I mean, we won't go into too much of the appendixes, but... I was flipping through them today, and it basically kind of gives like a little bit of an account, not much, but it just says, as far as the fourth age here, I, I basically everyone just kind of like lives peacefully for what it really kind of says. I mean, I don't want to really go all into it because there's way too much in here, but yeah basically it goes into the third age which it just says in the which this was like the third age but then it goes into the fourth age but i mean i guess everyone just kind of lives in their own peaceful little tribe or whatever they want to do man i guess um you know what's funny to bring up this thought i did hear uh hear something one time where J.R. tolkien was thinking about writing a sequel to this and then chose not to do it because he felt like this was really the climax of his big series and it basically would have involved like kind of orcs getting their own tribes um would start back together and you would have this brand new kind of uprising that would happen of course it had something to do with the tree because uh actually it actually did because jared tolkien was talking about trees and stuff but it didn't happen but i don't i don't honestly know like you feel like this is kind of like the big threat is ended now so i guess legolas goes off to the undying lands and you know, uh, Gimli's going to be going back to the Misty Mountains, and he's going to wind up in uh, in the Mines of Moria with his with his uh, friend that's buried there. Hopefully, his tomb doesn't get defiled by the Balrog. That's my theory, there, man. I don't know. What about you? It's tough. Like it really is tough. Um... Because it does say here in Appendix B, it says, In the Fourth Age, the earlier ages were often called the Elder Days, but that name was properly given only to the days before the casting out of Morgoth. The histories of that time are not recorded here. So we really don't know. you know. And then also, as I was reading through here, you know, I mentioned that uh, Frodo being ill, it was like between two things, the stabbing of the uh, Morgul blade from the King of Angmar and also uh, Gollum biting Frodo's finger off. Actually, the, the secondary injury, I wasn't correct there, was actually from Shelob, the sting that hit him. Uh, that, that was the other in, like, uh, illness that was causing him an issue. Because uh, it says March 14th, and this is on page 417 in the year 3020, or in the Shire's calendar, 1420, the, year of, the great year of plenty. It says March 13th, Frodo was taken ill on the anniversary of his poisoning by Shelob. So that's the secondary injury, not the biting of the finger from Gollum. That's the secondary injury, was the sting of of Sheila, but uh, yeah, it's just, it, it's tough to say, right? Like, I, you know, we have here a few things that says later events concerning the members of the fellowship. Uh, but, you know, Faramir, son of Pentagrin's born, like, so they had, like, like, Pippin has a son, 
Sam has Goldilocks. <laughs> Mary becomes master of Buckland. <laughs> Uh, Peregrine becomes the Took and the Thane, and King Elsar makes the Thane the master and mayor counselors of the North Kingdom. That's what, you know, King Elsar, which is Aragorn, rides north and dwells by Lake Avenim, comes to Brandywine Bridge and greets his friends, gives a star to Dunedain to Sam, and Eleanor is made a maid of honor to Queen Arwen. Like, like so we just see, like, little tiny things that happen. It's But, but like you said, we just kind of see life go about as is you know even up until like 1482 the death of mistress rose the wife of samwise gamgee uh was on september 22nd and he rides out from bag end and uh you know he gives the red book being kept uh, by the the fairbanes and you know from there it's tradition hands down from eleanor and samwise passed the towers and went to the gray havens and passed oversee the last of the ring bearers so that's what happened to like the to sam in, in 1482 but like i said like all of this is uh this but doesn't give us details, right? And even on the very last part, 1541, and this year on March 1st came at last the passing of King Elisar, Aragorn, right? It is said that uh, at the beds of Meriadoc and Peregrine were set beside the bed of the great king. Then Legolas built a gray ship in Ithilien and sailed down the Anduin and so over the sea. And with him, it is says, went Gimli the dwarf. And when that ship passed, an end was come to Middle Earth of the Fellowship of the Ring. So apparently Gimli went with Legolas across the sea. But what has kind of happened in between there? We don't get a lot of details. It just... You know, it'd been really cool if we saw the the what they were able to come to, or like maybe other little trials and tribulations. Obviously, it's never going to be as big of a conflict as what happened in this the Great War here with the Ring of Power. But you know, I just would have liked to see things outside of those appendixes, those quick little bullet points of of key things and events. It's just been nice to, to kind of see like yeah, you know, Legolas is regarded as you know the highest of the elves now that the rest are gone. Like, you know, and it doesn't say that. And you know, Gimli regarded as the greatest of the dwarves and. Mary and Pippin, you know, they're they're the head of the the Shire, and they've just been kind of cool, and they they kind of all parlay for their people, and when that the things are going on, they, you know, they they make requests, and they all try to come together and and keep as much peace as they possibly can. Like I don't know, it's just been nice to see um, that more in detail. But in those appendixes, we do get just various small little details, and obviously up until the very end there, and that that March first date of that, the year fifteen, whatever I just read that Aragorn dies, but. Um, yeah, man, that's just all. That's like all I would, all I wanted, right? It's like that, and that's not so much as a debate. Just kind of curious as what, where that would have gone. And I think I wonder if if Tolkien had survived a little bit longer, like you know, had a longer life, if he would have written anything that maybe talked about the tales of each of the fellowships. So who knows, man? What do you think? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I found out. See, this is what I was kind of talking about before. If you go online. Um, there's articles about it it just says so this is the first one that popped up it said few middle earth fans are aware that tolkien did actually begin writing another book that was the sequel to lord of the rings previously titled the new shadow tolkien seems to have toyed with the idea on and off for years before he died the composite drafts were originally published by Tolkien's son, Christopher Tolkien, in the History of Middle-Earth, Volume 12, The Peoples of Middle-Earth, but Tolkien chose to never finish the story because he didn't feel like it should be published. It says, The tale begins in the reign of King Eldarion, the son of Aragorn. A century has passed since the fall of Sauron, and the events of the War of the Ring have now faded from memory. One of the few in Gondor who remember the Third Age is an old man named Borlas, a younger son of Baragond, who is the captain guard of Prince Faramir and a friend of Hobbit Peregrine Took. 
Belarus sits and is guarded by the shores of Andorin within the site of the city of Minas Tirith. He has a conversation with a young man named Ceylon. The two become engaged in a philosophical discussion of the nature of evil. Ceylon eventually explains that there are growing unrest and discontent among the people since the death of Aragorn, the great king Elisar. He asks Borlas if he has heard of a mysterious figure called Hirumar. Borlas has indeed heard the name, and it startles him and disturbs him that Ceylon also knows it. Says Borlas asks his followers to plan to overtake Hirumar, whoever that is, but Ceylon counters by asking how is that Borlas came to know about the person. Back and forth, this continues until Salen offers to reveal more, but on one condition, that Borlas must meet with him at nightfall, and then, and then they depart, and Borlas wonders about the young man's motives. Is he in league with this person? Can they be trusted? Or is Borlas being led into a deadly trap? Despite the danger, the old man resolves to discover the truth. Borlas returns to his house, but it's dark and deathly silent. Quote, he entered wondering a little. He called, but there was no answer. He halted in a narrow passage that ran through the house, and it seemed that he was wrapped in blackness. Not a glimmer of twilight world outside remained there. Suddenly he smelt it, or so it seemed, though. It came as if it was within outwards the sense. He smelt the old evil and knew it for what it was. And it says, within the final words of the article, the reader is left to ponder many unanswered questions. Because Tolkien failed to finish it it will never be known what Borlas's fate was in that dark silent house and what that person was planning the story was intended to be called the new shadow but Tolkien never chose to publish it so I don't know <laughs> what do you think man I don't know again that that just sounds like stuff that's happened after the passing of Aragorn to a whole different sort of deal like I was just more so kind of curious as to what you know became of the members of the fellowship that were left and remained in middle earth and some of the things that they may have dealt with or if it was just a peaceful kingdom until aragorn died or whatever but uh yeah i don't know man like it's just tough because you know who knows because i'm pretty sure you mentioned that was written by christopher tolkien which is his son right but you know who knows what would have came from the mind of of J.R. Tolkien at that point in time and if it was... Well, no, correction. So okay. those two pages were written by J.R.R. Tolkien, but Christopher Tolkien put them in the book, but okay. he never chose to finish those. That's two pages. Like, you know what I mean? Like, who knows? Yeah, what, like, like, that's, that's still, like, yeah, two pages out of a whole potential novel that's not gonna really give us a yeah. an in-depth thing of what would have came from his own mind, and you know, just it just would have been different, but who knows? Like, I don't know. I've got really no opinion on that, because I, I haven't drawn any sort of connection to these new characters that are being introduced after all the people that we've just spent three novels with, you know, like, <laughs> right, you know what yeah, I mean? I so know. it's just like, it's tough for me to really comment on, but yeah, I don't know. Those are just the things that I have thoughts on and which, you know, outside of like little quick bullet points in the appendixes of which we got and got an idea of, you know, some of the cool travels and journeys of, of the key members of the fellowship afterwards, after everything kind of went down in Frodo and, and Bilbo and Gandalf and Elrond and Galadriel and Celeborn all left to the Undying Lands. It'd be nice to see, you know, what they all came home to. Like, did, did Gimli come home to the same sort of deal where orcs try to overtake the dwarves in the caves that were left over from the war? Like, did Legolas come home to whatever have bad bad things happen in the Merkwood Forest? Like, you know, it'd just been nice to kind of get, you know, an idea 
of you know what happened after but it's kind of more of a you know everyone lived happily ever after type of deal and it is what it is but it is you know I told you man Gimli's buried in the mines of Moria <laughs> <laughs> well it says, nah, it says Gimli sailed off with Legolas beyond the sea he went with him and then so. Legolas probably killed him and put his ass in that mines of Moria <laughs> I'm just kidding nah man I mean Everyone lived happily ever after. That's all we can really interpret from this. Like, he didn't really give us much to go on. Yeah, I'm with you, man. I'm with you. But that's all I got, man. You got anything else before we close up shop? That's all I got, man. Let's close up shop for today. But uh, don't worry, everyone. It's not quite over yet. Uh, You're absolutely correct. We still have differences part one between the extended edition of the film and novel. You know, differences part two between the extended edition of the film and the novel. Then we'll also do our little rankings episode where we'll talk about, you know, uh, how we, you know, maybe rank some certain characters, certain battles, maybe uh, villains that we come across, and cool things from the appendixes that, you know, maybe people didn't take a look at just because they, you know, are very, very long and they just read a really long book, you know what I mean? So <laughs> we'll uh, we'll touch on that. There's still a few episodes left, as Chase mentioned, but, you know, in terms of today, guys, uh, if this is your first time joining us, welcome. We hope you love what you heard. This is, you've been with us since the very beginning. You know, thank you for being the, the shields that guard the realms of fantasy and continuing on with this journey with us. You know, this is... Uh, the, the end of the the story part of the Lord of the Rings here, and you know, this is the very first huge arc that we've covered in season two of Chasing Josh Factor Fantasy. So it it's uh, not, you know, like I said, we're not quite done with it yet. But in terms of things from the novel specifically, and, and you know, dissecting and analyzing those uh, those moments, you know, where we've we've kind of put the the book the book and the story that happens throughout the book to rest here today. And so that's been pretty cool. So if you uh, you're looking for where to follow us, we're on all forms of social media. On Instagram, we're at official ridiculous Patronus. On TikTok, we're at ridiculous Patronus. We have a backup Instagram at fact underscore or underscore fantasy. Backup TikTok at fact underscore or underscore fantasy. We're on Facebook at Chase and Josh Factor Fantasy. We're on YouTube at Ridiculous Patronus. We're at, uh, Twitter RP Factor Fantasy. Snapchat RP Factor Fantasy, and we do have our own website as well, ridiculouspatronus.blogspot.com, where Chase actually does go ahead and update that and put in uh, key moments of the film that you can see on screen that go along with what we're talking about with that day's episode that releases. So that's really cool. Definitely be sure to check. And our that debates out. are there, which is cool. And our debates are there, which is cool too. Awesome. And you know, on, on top of that too, if you're looking outside just the debates, like full podcasts, you can catch up on. You're wondering where you can listen to us on our podcast. Uh, we're we're everywhere that you can get your podcast. Right? If you're an Apple user, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, on iTunes. If you're an Android user, you can find us on Google Play. You can find us on Spotify. We're on iHeartRadio. We're on Audible, Amazon Music, Stitcher, Acast, Podbean, wherever you get your podcasts. We are there, so please leave us reviews on Apple Podcasts. Leave us star review ratings on Spotify. Uh, everything's been great so far with the engagement. Please keep it up. We're excited to keep that going, but we're out for the day, guys, because you know this has been another ridiculous production. Chase and Josh. Factor Fantasy. Signing, signing off. off.